Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever it is exactly you're checking us out. As always, we appreciate the listen. This is the OSU Sports Extra Podcast. We're coming at you August 11th, a Friday afternoon. Uh, hope everybody has a good weekend. Uh, as always, I'm Dean Rule, OSU Sports Beat Reporter, and uh, it's not Patrick joining us today. We've got a new, a new uh, moderator, host, whatever that role is. Uh, Juwan Lee. Juwan joined us. Patrick is still around, don't worry, but uh, he'll be helping on another podcast. Juwan is going to be helping uh, on the OSU Sports Extra podcast. He is our assistant sports editor. He joined us this summer. And uh, Juwan, welcome. Man, I'm 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 glad to be here. It's been a it's been it's been a little bit of a crazy time. I know with all the all the vacations and stuff, everybody been kind of trying to get back into the groove of things, but. We're here now. Um, football season is is underway, and what more? What more can you ask for when football is about to kick off? Exactly. I think we were talking about it a little bit before we hit the record button. Football is always the best part of the year. The fall is always great. Fall and football go together like like nothing else, um, and so I, I think it's just great. But it is a hectic part of the year, Jalon. It is, and we both know that very well. Yeah, no, for sure. And I know since, you know, the the audience is getting to know me for the first time, I'll give a little bit of background about, you know, where I came from and how I ended up at, at Tulsa with you guys. But, you know, I grew up in Dallas. I'm, I'm from Dallas, Texas. And ironically, ironically, before I came here, I grew up an Oklahoma State Cowboys fan. Um, and I tell I tell people this story all the time. I really didn't have any big allegiance to Oklahoma State. It was just that my dad is a really big OU fan. So I said to just just give a little rivalry with my dad. I'm gonna be an Oklahoma State fan. So um, that's pretty much me and my dad's dynamic outside of football. Because he's, a, I mean, outside of the NFL. Because I'm a Cowboys fan and he's a he's a Rams fan. So um, so yes, yeah, so I, I grew up in Dallas. Um, went to Stephen F. Austin in East Texas and made a couple stops around the around the Texas area. And now I'm here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, Juwan, as always, we are we're happy to have you, and and obviously. We're happy to have you join in the pod. Throw a little, uh, little fun, little fold into this podcast as we gear up and uh, get going on this football season. That that's going to be an interesting one. So I, I don't know where you want to start with this, Juan, but uh, we got all kinds of topics we can hit on today. So wherever you think that uh, we should start discussing, I'm I'm ready to roll. Man, I think with with camp rolling around and stuff, and everybody getting acclimated to practices and stuff, I think we just hit it there. Um, Obviously, you know, OSU has started and one of the big things that we have here on the list is is just about quarterbacks. So it's been a topic. Um, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. I mean, that's pretty pretty much it. So give me your thoughts about what do you think about the quarterback position heading into the season for OSU right now? You know, I think you're correct. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win. And then I think also if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. You know, you always that's want the saying. that's the one position that you really want to be solidified and confident in the direction you're going. Um, and and so obviously back in January, OSU went out and they got a transfer and Alan Bowman, who, who who has been successful at the power five level, but not played at the power five level in quite some time. Um, you know, he spent some, some time at Texas tech past two years at Michigan and at tech, you know, OSU fans can probably recall some of those games where Alan Bowman played against them. And, and you know, he, he historically has had some good games against OSU in his career. But regardless, 
uh, he hasn't played in the past two years. You know, I think he, he kind of bounced around third string quarterback area up at Michigan. And so I think the big question is you've got this guy who's got experience, who's 24. He's going to be the, you know, he'll be the oldest uh quarterback if he starts he'll be the oldest starting quarterback at OSU since Brandon Whedon and and so I think that all plays into uh to his benefit but I think you still have to ask the question of how rusty versus how polished of a product are you getting with with somebody like him Uh, and obviously they've got some younger guys who kind of stand out you know I I think Garrett Rangel's impressed a lot of people um this offseason you know he, he had some some freshman mistakes. He looked a little rushed at times when he was stepping in for Spencer Sanders last year. Um, but then he also had some great moments like like he did against uh, Wisconsin in the fourth quarter. After that offense could not move the ball at all in the bowl game, uh, you know, he, he showed some poise uh, in those final minutes of the guaranteed rate bowl. So I think he's still running. And you've got Gunnar Gundy, who I, I think it's safe to say is probably not going to claim a starting spot this year, but you know, he could factor in depending on what OSU wants to do. Uh, so I think it's important that this fall camp and Mike Gundy said, he's, you know, expecting somewhere between 12 to 14 practices before they would maybe feel comfortable about what a, a potential depth chart looks like there. But, you know, I, I think you probably would lean Alan Bowman just at this current moment as your week one starter. And, that leads to all kinds of other questions. You know, what kind of a leash is he going to be on? You know, how many mistakes are you going to let slide before you say, okay, we're going to put Garrett Rangel in there or, or we're going to give Gunnar Gundy some snaps. Uh, so, so, so that's always going to be the folds of this, you know, when you don't have that bona fide starter like they've had with Spencer Sanders the past uh, four years. Yeah, and you know, I was reading Bill Hastings' column um, a couple of days ago, and he actually had talked about the quarterback situation with with OSU and with Allen bringing some some of the experience to a young quarterback room. I know you mentioned that right now you can probably pencil him in as a, as the week one starter, um, but from your perspective, do you feel like that's the right direction? I know he brings a certain level of experience. But looking at it from what he brings and some of the youth, some of the youthful quarterbacks they have, do you feel like that's the correct direction to go early, early on right now? Yeah, I think you can look at it one of two ways. Well, actually, I think you can look at it more than one of two ways. Now that I now that I actually think about it, you can use Alan Bowman as a bridge and say he's the quarterback this year. He's going to start one year. Then he's out of college eligibility, and it allows you know. Garrett Rangel is obviously a, a talented quarterback and and was a, a great recruit for them uh, two years ago. Zane Flores, who they just brought in from Nebraska, or recruited him out of Nebraska, who who's a true freshman this year. He's another one that kind of fits that role. And, and so you can use Alan Bowman. You can use Alan Bowman in the regard of he's the experienced quarterback. He's got the the snaps, the reps. He knows that he's got the football IQ you would want. You can use him for a year, use him as a bridge, let him play out. And then next year you can kind of start to decide, okay, is it Garrett Rangel? Is it Zane Flores? You know, how do we want to go with these younger options who are probably a bit more longer tenured options? Um, Or you can look at it, I think, from the perspective of, you know, maybe Alan Bowman is just insurance in case maybe Garrett Rangel is the guy and you want to just kind of throw him into the fire because you know he's going to be the quarterback for the next three years. And, and you can say, 
you know, we're going to start you. We're going to let you make all those mistakes. Um, you know, the, Tim Retain, the coaching cap staff can say all that and, and just use Alan Bowman, you know, in case of emergency. I doubt that's what's going to happen. I, I do think this is Alan Bowman's uh, job to lose, but it, it's an option nonetheless. And, and so that's why I think you just kind of use him this year if you're OSU and uh, just see where it takes you. Got you. And, you know, for our audience out there, I mean, both Bill and Dean have touched a little bit on the quarterback situation at OSU. So, I mean, we have a lot to get to, so I don't want to just sit there on on, on quarterback. But, again, if you want to hear their additional perspective, just, you know, visit our website. Um, The next thing we have on our list is about, you know, the safeties. Um, Kind of give me your outlook on what do you view of that position group right now? You know, OSU in the past two to three years has been – really veteran, really experienced, and and just kind of had a steady output at safety. Um, you know, you've seen guys like uh, Colby Harvell-Peel make an NFL roster. Trey Serling made an NFL. Well, they were assigned as undrafted free agents, did not make the 53-man cut. Um, you know, Jason Taylor is, is currently trying to make – he got drafted. Uh, and so you've had this steady kind of output – in the secondary um, at the safety position. And now all of a sudden, uh, I don't want to say they're super young, but they're more super inexperienced. You know, I, I think right, right. everybody knows the talent level of Kendall Daniels and what he, he his potential is, and they're putting him in this rover position that's super versatile and going to play to his strengths. And so I think that's why you could almost write in Kendall Daniels as as possibly, you know, I guess if you were to make a preseason MVP on the defensive side, Kendall Daniels, you could very well make a case, but he's only started five games up to this point. Um, you're going to, you know, you're going to see OSU rely on guys like Lyric Rawls and, and Trey Rucker, who showed their potential in the bowl game when they played a, a lot of meaningful minutes, but they haven't played a ton of meaningful minutes. You know, they've played some. And so I think that's just going to be a position that maybe you're relying on, younger guys in and it's going to be interesting to watch this defense with a new defensive coordinator Brian Nardo who seems who appears to be you know a a long-term they're they're expecting more than just one year uh out of Brian Nardo in Stillwater so maybe this is more of a foundational year for that defense maybe there are and and there surely are going to be some some hiccups and shortcomings uh just because it is new and they're, they're changing up the scheme, but it's just the safety is going to be a position. I kind of circle and say, it's going to be interesting to see what they do there and, and how they use it and how, you know, deep they're willing to rotate at that position. Yeah. And that kind of leads into my next question, because I mean, I'm a, I'm a big defensive guy. Like I like studying that side of the ball. So when you're looking at the safety position and again, it's still early on right now, how important do you feel, it's going to be for them to kind of identify the leader of that group right now? Or do you feel like they can kind of get away with just rotating with um, the guys that they have? Cause I mean, the way people play safeties now, if you're versatile, you can find your way on the field. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think in the leadership aspect, they have that with Kendall Daniels. I think that's somebody that a lot of the defensive guys have pointed to, You've got somebody like Colin Oliver who moved back to linebacker. Uh, he he's another one of those I think leadership glue guys that could have a a pretty substantial season. 
um, at OSU this year. And the role that they're going to be using Kendall Daniels in, and you know, he's got to drop down to the linebacker level at points. He's got to be able to drop back in coverage. That's that versatile piece. And I think what he'll be able to do there plays super well into his strengths. And, you know, he was a highly recruited guy uh, three years ago out of high school out of Beggs. And, and so I think the, the ceiling for him is super high. And I think that helps. I think that safety room, because, you know, Kendall Daniels, Lyric Rawls and Trey Rucker all came to OSU at the same time. And they were kind of that group right below the, the junior, the upperclassmen. So now they've just kind of risen up uh, to, to that starting level. And so that goes back to the, I think the point I was trying to make the whole time, which was you've got, the OSU's kind of steadily been able to produce safeties over the past right. couple of years. And I think the question is now that you've got a new scheme, does that continue? Because this, these three guys are the, the next ones up, you know, they're the ones who are moving into that bigger role. Is that going to continue to be fluid or with Brian Nardo and the new schemes, the new ideas, is there going to be some hiccups there? Okay, so, you know, we just touched on the safeties and, you know, earlier we talked about how big it is to to be able to nail down, you know, if you have a quarterback or not. I mean, opposite end, well, not even opposite end, but on the same side of the ball is that is the offensive line. You know, you need an offensive line to have a have a functional offense. What have you seen from that group so far? You know, I think fall camp is always the time to be optimistic. You're never going to have the coach come out and say, oh, this is a major concern or we're going to be terrible on this side or in this aspect of the game. Uh, it's always a time to, to be excited and to be optimistic about your team. And offensive line, I think the biggest strength that OSU is going to have at the offensive line position this year, which is a position that has probably not lived up to the OSU expectations um, up to in the past couple of years, is going to be their depth. You know, they're rolling about, I think, 22 at that position right now, or, or across those five positions, um, which is is good. Obviously, not everybody's going to be ready. Not everybody's going to play a bunch of snaps. But I think if, if OSU is able to go, you got your starters and you've got a strong, you know, second group there, then, then I think it could really be beneficial to them and what they're trying to achieve. And... I think something else to factor in there is this is probably the veteran most group on this team this year. They've got five guys from the 2019 recruiting class who have not transferred, who have not, you know, quit, quit football or anything. They've all remained together. That is going to be the core of the group that's getting put out there uh, this year. And I think that it's almost, you know, Make or break time. It's, it's all these guys have come in. They're all upperclassmen now. Are they going to be able to finally get it to come all together? Because injuries have, have been kind of a, a issue for them the past for the offensive line the past couple of years, and so it just feels like this is the year. You've got new run blocking schemes. You're bringing back tight ends. You've got everybody healthy. You've got all this depth. If it's not going to happen now, when is it going to happen? You know. Right. 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 
And I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Um, another thing, just kind of looking at a broader aspect of things, you know, because we, we focused on specifically the OSU position groups, something that's dominated headlines the past couple of weeks is just conference realignment and everything and all the, the craziness that's that's gone on from there. Um, I know you've been kind of in the midst of that, just figuring out different things. Um, just kind of walk me through your analysis of what's been going on so far and how do you kind of expect things to affect OSU moving forward? You know, I think if we go back two years ago to to July of 21 and OU in Texas make the announcement that, hey, we're going to the SEC in, in 2025 and you just look at the pulse of the Big 12 then and uh, all the talk of, you know, these teams might need to split up, this might not last, this might not even be, you know, Power five football in a couple of years if they have to drop down and merge with, you know, one of those other conferences. And they stabilized the league pretty quick, adding in uh, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, UCF, all, all that's exciting. And then you go out and you get Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. It's, I think it's good for the Big 12. It's just you, you have survived another round of realignment. You've put yourself in a <laughs> pretty good spot moving forward and who knows what the future of um of college football looks like in terms of realignment and all that but i think just as somebody who's grown up watching college football it kind of sucks to see some of these <laughs> you know i i don't know if i've quite acclimated to the idea of some of these teams being in the big 12 because you always just think of them as a pac 12 school or or you know Central Florida, that's that's gonna take a while. You know, I remember right. I moved to I moved to Oklahoma in 2010. I would have been 10 years old. And I just remember and and that was my first ever taste of, of big time college football because where I'd lived previously, there was nobody cared about college football. <laughs> and so I remember those, you know, Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado. That that was kind of the first taste I ever had of big time college football. And so I was like, oh, that's that's great. And so I always think now, what is a 10 year old who's watches college football going to, you know, I'm always going to be like central Florida. That's kind of a weird big 12 school. <laughs> 10 year olds probably like, Oh yeah. Then, then, you know, 10 years from now, right. like, oh, central Florida, that that's big 12 country. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that that, that part of it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to, but for the big 12, yeah, it's, it's great for them. I mean, it's moves that that conference needed to make and, I don't know what they're going to call it now. Maybe they'll be the big 16, but who knows? <laughs> who knows what they're all doing? So I know. it's good. And, and it gives OSU, I guess, from, from a more local angle, it, it stabilizes OSU, I think, for the future in a lot of ways because um, yeah, at least in, in football sense, because travel is never going to be an issue in football. Uh, I think some of these other sports, it's going to take a couple of years to kind of realize what the – I don't want to say consequences, but the, um, I guess, just more difficult aspects of this conference realignment is going to do for when the softball teams maybe not got the best travel schedule and, and you're on a bus a lot of the time and all that good stuff. But overall, it, it's it's strong for the Big 12. I mean, TV networks kind of control everything it feels like these days. So for OSU, but, but OSU, yeah, you know, it stabilizes them. It's good. You, you know, you also avoid OSU's 
centrally located in in the United States. So it's not the worst thing when maybe it's you got to go to Arizona. You know, it's not um, Oregon going to be having to travel to Maryland. Um, right, like right. The Big Ten in a couple of years, but it's just it's a weird time in college athletics, and I think it's going to take at least for me and prior, I would assume most of the country is going to take a little bit of time before this all kind of starts becoming familiar. I know the past couple of weeks from reading some of your stuff, you know, like a central theme that you had was their ability to stabilize everything. And, you know, they, they've added quite a few teams from your perspective. Are you satisfied with, you know, what they've been able to accomplish thus far? Yeah. So I guess just, Purely in my opinion, I think with the way that this is moving, you're going to have the Big Ten and the SEC, I think, are always going to, from here on out, those are going to be the dominating factors in college football. But I think what those two conferences, those so those two conferences have what the Big 12 no longer does, and that's blue blood programs, the cream of the crop at the top of the conference. But top to bottom, those leagues don't have uh, the most competitive. You know, you've, you've still got Rutgers and you've still got Maryland and uh, Vanderbilt's been not the best program in the past uh, 10 years. So you've got some of those programs still there. But I think what the Big 12 has been able to do is not just stabilize. But they've kind of put together a repertoire of competitive teams, at least like I think that's why it's so hard to try to predict who's going to win the Big 12 football championship this year is because right. anything can – I think they just made – somebody on Twitter put out a tweet that I thought summarized it perfectly, and, and now I can't remember what it is. But I think it's just good football is what you've got here in the Big 12 now. I agree, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, you know, just kind of keeping along with that, and I know we touched on, like, the the overall picture of it, but just kind of expectations for OSU. I know it's still early, but, you know, if you kind of want to just walk me through some of your expectations for, for the Cowboys this year. Right. I mean, we just said the Big 12 is going to be unpredictable this year. I think OSU football is pretty unpredictable simply because I think when you look at it, you've got – it's about a third of the roster is new. They were not on this team last year. And that's between freshmen and transfers, mm -hmm. which is uh, pretty sizable, right? You know, that the, it's hard to kind of picture how everybody slots in. It's not, we are past the age of this guy was a senior, he graduated, or this guy was a junior, he got drafted. Well, here are two sophomores who, have, who are now upperclassmen who are going to fill that spot. We're past right. that a little bit with, with the way the transfer portal works. And so I think that's why it's hard to put together a depth chart, hard to figure out what positions are necessarily super solidified. And in turn, it's hard to try to say, well, that's a that's a winnable game. That's not. OSU schedule, I think, favors them, but it's going to be up to them how much it favors them, if that makes any sense, because they've got the four new schools. And, and I think UCF, BYU, Houston – I forget which one I started with. Those four ones that are joining this year, uh, Cincinnati. Those are all coming from group of five conferences. And so it's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be a learning curve to playing power five football every week for, for those programs. I'm not saying it's going to take 10 years for them to get there, but it's going to take a moment. And so I think that's favorable for OSU. They've got a relatively 
favorable non-conference schedule. Um, so point being, I think OSU, you're just looking at with all these question marks, I think there's no other way to say it than they have a high ceiling. And that might be, I'm not saying this is going to be a, OSU is a 12-win team, but, you know, maybe they could hit nine wins. Maybe they could hit eight wins. But on the flip side, hey, maybe all these question marks don't go their way. And maybe this is only a five-win season. Maybe this is only a four-win season. And and with all of that, I think, I hate to say it, but I think that's just the way college, college football is going at this moment where it's hard to kind of pin down yeah, these are the winnable ones. These aren't because you just never know how well all this meshes together anymore. Right. I'm, And it's so crazy because as I was listening to you talk, I'm glad you touched on that because I was literally going to ask about the transfer portal. And when you're kind of judging expectations for teams and, you know, since we're talking about OSU, you're looking at who they grab from different situations. Do you feel like the transfer portal is an advantage or disadvantage for like what's when a team is trying to build out its program with how the current transfer portal is? You know, I think that's a great question. And we'll probably end up, I'll try to keep it brief or else we could go for probably an hour on this, this topic. Alone. <laughs> I think what you get a lot of now is when you've got a new coach that comes in, I think there's a lot of worry about when now, or you're going to be fired. I'm sorry. I think there's a trash truck outside Juwan. So if you can hear that, I apologize. Oh, no, it's cool. You know, I, I, I can't. So no, it's okay. Um, but you've got coaches that want to win now in the transfer portal. Had, there are success stories and there are failure stories in the transfer portal. And like in terms of teams who build through the portal. And I think rather than, you know, hitting the recruiting trail hard or, you know, really working on developing the pieces you have, I think the transfer portal can kind of get viewed as win now mode. You know, if we pull in a great transfer class, you know, oh, we could, we could go from, six wins to 10 wins. And I think that's kind of detrimental because at the speed the transfer portal moves, I think it's hard to, A, do your due diligence on what kind of player you're getting. And Mike Gundy has talked pretty extensively about this. I remember uh, chatting with him about it in the spring, just how the speed at which it moves, it's hard to know just exactly what kind of player you're getting. And, and you can look at, you know, this guy was a four-star out of high school. This guy was a three-star. This was a five-star. You don't know what the fit's going to be. You don't know what kind of a player you're getting. And so you can look at all these stats and all this film and say, oh, yeah, this all fits, and then bring him in, and it just might never mesh. And right. so I think that's it's hard to get that longevity, that sustainability, and I think it's it, – I'll say it like this. I do not envy any Division One coaching staff trying to navigate all of that trying to navigate roster management at this point in college athletics. And, you know, continuing with the theme of, of transfer, you, we were going to talk about Kelly Maxwell, um, who ended up at uh, OU here. You know, what do you think about that situation? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the most the strong, I guess, most consistent piece in OSU's pitching staff the past couple of years. And, uh, their their pitching coach, uh, John Bark, felt he retired right after they were eliminated from the Women's College World Series. And, and I know that probably played a factor in Kelly Maxwell leaving. And, you know, 
oh, if OU is the spot, then, you know, that's the hard thing about the transfer portal because you get so many people also that when you've got a player that hops in and wants to leave, it it can kind of cause some ire in a fan base. But, you know, I, I don't think you can ever – I think it's the same as recruiting. I think people that want to get upset at players for – you know, maybe not picking their school and on the recruiting trail. I, I don't get that. And I think that's why <laughs> it's the same way. And I get there's, there's all of a sudden a relationship because Kelly Maxwell has been at OSU since 2019. So there there's years and years of, of, you know, fans who have built relationships with her and, and loved watching her play. But I don't know if you can ever fault, you know, I, I put myself in that position if I wanted to transfer schools because you never know what's going on in somebody's personal life, then I think yeah, that's right. a hard decision, you know. But it would be interesting to see how OSU um, goes about filling that spot. They've got Lexi Kilfoyle coming back, who is a great number two option. I think, honestly, if they wanted to use her as the number one pitcher next year, I think it'd be a pretty smooth transition. I think how the depth plays out there, might be a little concerning, but they've got a pretty strong freshman class coming in with a few pitchers. They've got um, Kyra Acox coming back. So I think all, all in all, I think OSU pitching staff can survive a hit like that, but it's a, definitely not a hit they wanted to take at this point in the year. Right, for sure. Well, you know, Dean, I definitely um... – I learned a lot from from sitting here and just chatting with you. And, you know, as we continue to do these episodes, you're going to get more and more comfortable with each other. And I'm, I'm looking to build on what ty- on what we had today. Um, but before we get out of here, you have any final comments that you want to make or anything, man? I think uh, I think me and Juwan are going to be a, a dynamic duo in the OSU <laughs> podcasting realm. So I hope everybody comes back. I, it's only going to get better from here. This is just episode one. So we got – a whole football season worth of these to come. So I, I implore everybody to check us out. Those of you checking us out right now, I, as always, we appreciate the listen. Yeah, and this would definitely be available on all platforms, um, Apple, Spotify, and Google. Um, podcasting is – our podcast is free to download. So, you know, like, share, leave us a review if you have one. Um, but, again, this, this has been fun, man. I look forward to doing it again. For sure. All right, y'all take care.